Ladies and gentlemen, people of the world, welcome to the kickoff of Series 3 of the Couch Pundit Podcast. We really should know better by now, but we obviously don't. And we have a special guest, a very special guest. Now, my first interactions with this, with this human was via Drive Time Radio, where they, they took a massive opinion and condensed it down into 90 seconds. And then I followed on Twitter, uh, at Ewan McKenna, to let the cat out of the bag, is where you can find these opinions. But he was born in a tie. He hosts his own podcast called The Black Guy Podcast, available wherever you get your oral, oral, excuse me, uh, Freudian slip there. Author of Chaos is a Friend of Mine, which is a great read uh, of the highs and lows in between of uh, former hero, whatever, Conor McGregor. Amongst other sporting biographies, these are available in all good uh, bookshops and even some bad ones. Uh, a Twitter darling, as I said, star of Drive Time Radio, as I said, and it, he has his own Reddit page. So you know you've made it when people make your own their Reddit page about you. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ewan McKenna, how are you doing? Uh, very well, or, well, as good as could be, I suppose. I'm, I'm in Portugal right now, which is open, so I, uh, mm. I can go for a drink, I can go for a meal, I can go for a walk, which is probably more than can be said for yourself. Well, that's it. We're going to end the podcast there with that show off. Uh, that's going to ruin everyone's day. But no, <laughs> that was my first question, because you know, on, on, your, on your bio on your site, it says, you know, you, you went over for the World Cup, over to Brazil. I forgot to come home and I was going to ask, where in the world are you? Born in, born in a tie, out to Brazil, but now you're in Portugal. Yeah, I, I spent, uh, what did I spend? I ended up spending eight years down in Brazil and uh, I, I, I got beaten up badly once. Then I got kidnapped uh, on a bus, not uncommon in Brazil. And my wife, who's Brazilian, said, if you stay here much longer, uh, you're going to get killed. So we found <laughs> Portugal as a, as a halfway house in terms of travel and, and, and language and everything else. And well, nothing, nothing means popularity more than trying to be kidnapped. So, you know, you, you're ticking off a lot of boxes already, Reddit pages <laughs> and, and kidnapped. But, but you're, you're a man of opinions, which is, which is why I enjoy uh, your Twitter. I don't watch the news anymore. The next day I just roll onto your Twitter and see what the story is, uh, because I find the news hurts what's left of my brain. Uh, but I was going to say, because we have, we have you for a little bit of time here, and what people do to you generally, I think, to get the most amount of wind up for the least amount of time is to cut your presence down to as short as they can and then just let that opinion free in the world. Sometimes they leave out context. Do you find that is, uh, for example, back in the day when I first um, heard your voice was in and around the Mayweather stuff. And that was when uh, the McKenna mania was starting to kick off and then we moved in, into, the, into the Twitter for me. Did you find that that was something you were running into where they said, right, we'll get you and on We'll ask him one question. We know he's going to say something fact-based, but we have feelings and these things won't co coexist. So we'll get loads of texts. Is that something you ran into, uh, certainly starting with the Mayweather stuff? I think far beyond me, I think humanity has been going down this path where critical thought is getting less and less and it's easier to let other people do the thinking for you. And when anyone says something that doesn't fit that narrative, no matter what, it, it be it fact-based, be, be it whatever else, logical. Um, it's easier to take down the person rather than their thought at that point. And I, I suppose with COVID in particular, we're, we're, we're seeing it a lot. And it's interesting that the left actually are doing it so much now because I would have always considered myself quite a socialist, but uh, the left are those who have hijacked the left. Mm. Uh, have, I've kind of followed that Trumpian model that if you attack and dehumanize and humiliate and degrade the messenger, then people won't ever get to that message that they don't like. 
Yeah, no, it's it's certainly, and especially when we're when we're on Twitter with 124 characters, and to make your point, sometimes you need a thread that's seven or eight tweets long, and no one no one really has that much interest. Um, it, it is it is a struggle. It it is interesting. I I consider myself a bald hippie, uh, but now it's kind of uh, I kind of try not to put any sort of label on anything for fear of just being tarred with that one brush, as you say. It, it used to be a a right wing phenomenon that we would point and laugh at in the states, you know, saying all these all these crazy people who won't listen, won't talk, they're, they're in it to win it. And now it's everyone. Um, and that's certainly, is that something you see happening during lockdown where because we're stuck indoors, certainly over here, we're stuck indoors. We have no one really to talk to except for whoever's in the house with us. And those people don't want to talk to us either. Um, are you finding that Twitter is becoming this kind of melting pot of man, even more of a melting pot of madness, I suppose? I think even beyond Twitter, because there's so much anger out there, um, mm. and I wouldn't even blame social media for it. I look at the likes of RTE, and I think they've driven a wedge through Irish society that is not going to heal for a long, long time, mm. if it ever heals. And so much of it is about identity politics now. Um, like I, I guess the woke socialists, which isn't the socialist in my view, because they only give money to the homeless man if they can take a photograph and post it for <laughs> likes and, and this sort of stuff. Um, I, 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 I keep seeing that, uh, for example, uh, COVID is Fintan O'Toole's writing in the Irish Times about how it's, it's shown up our racism because we didn't learn from the Asians about their health care because we don't like the Asians. I, I see from Hazel Chu, uh, the Green Party chairperson, who, who I have a lot of time for, mm-hmm. um, her and others are now pushing a, a kind of a feminist agenda over COVID that it's affected women worse and shown up this. And if you want to pigeonhole COVID into anything, and none of them will do it, uh, it, it's the class issue because it's affecting the worst off worst. They have to work jobs, for example, in meat factories where it's packed. They can't take days off working in supermarkets where there's a, a great risk there. They, they don't get those holidays. Those who are losing jobs and can't pay the bills are going to be more working class. But it doesn't suit these people to say, well, COVID is affecting people differently and it's affecting the poorer worse and it's creating a massive societal division because it'll make them look bad because they happen to be the ones screaming lockdown at every turn against a lot of data and a lot of logic. And anyone who tries to present that data and that logic gets shot down very, very quickly. No, absolutely. Data and logic are, are two key things that most people should use, even ordinary level students like myself. But I think uh, things do happen. Things, uh, unfortunate things happen where, you know, uh, cosmetic surgery trips happen. And that, that is the thing that everyone grabs onto. Yes, it was, it was stupid. And, and we had a bit of crack back and forth about it. But like, it was a stupid thing. Everyone, everyone has had enough of this COVID and wants a holiday. I'd love a holiday, but on a facelift, if I'm being honest. But the, 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 the problem is that the, instead of saying these people were stupid, let's deal with them, but this is not the story. The story is why do we have hotel lockdowns or suddenly hotel quarantines? Why didn't we have it from day one? Why, what are your genuine expectations? And that was another thing I was going to talk to you about, the, the government messaging, uh, because I grew up thinking governments have better ideas than me, smarter than me, they know more than me, whereas simple things like a Monday morning commute pre-COVID, none of them know a thing about it. We've got a, a Minister for Health who, aside from going to the GP, doesn't know anything about it. Um, does that affect messaging? And that means that people like me get annoyed at being locked down when people go, and, and the thing on my mind is people going for facelifts in Istanbul. 
it's this confusion circle that we're in. Well, I, I guess I keep seeing another 100,000, another 150,000 mm. going on better communications. Uh, that's bullshit because uh, communications is just a byword for marketing and marketing involves trying to manipulate and trick people. Uh, I think the government would get an awful lot further, even if they're, they make mistakes and just being honest, but they've never mm. been honest in, in any of this. And I suppose if you're going to listen to three or not listen to three groups of people around lockdowns, um, the three groups you probably shouldn't are the political class, the media class, and the academic class on the basis that these are the three groups of people who haven't just not suffered they've actually had their lot enhanced the mm. government have got three pay rises via themselves they're now on over a hundred thousand each and over seventy thousand in the shannon these um academic celebrities as we'll call them they're getting loads of attention they're getting loads of funding they're out and about they're not stuck to 5k they're in radio stations mm -hmm. and doing interviews and all this sort of stuff um and journalists have never had it so good there's no traffic on the road for them and everybody's staring <laughs> in and, and listening to them and and their numbers are through the roof RTE just turned a five million profit because they've managed to furlough half their staff um yet these are the people who are not stuck within 5k their wages have not been cut back to the PUP and uh, mm -hmm. their futures are not, or their pensions and their, 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 their futures are not at risk. And it's an incredibly greedy thing because you, 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 you mentioned messaging. I mean, the messaging since the start of this began with this bullshit, we're all in it together. Now we were never going to be all in it together, but that was just something to hide behind. Well, some clean up and some lose yeah. an, an awful lot. Um, and it's very, dispiriting to hear people at home on full pay uh, whose lives have got better through this demean and degrade those who are losing everything and who might have happened to protest about that because I accept on one side that if you are on full pay and your job is secure and you're sitting at home, I absolutely accept that your biggest worry might well be COVID. You might think COVID could kill you and that's your worry. But these people then will not accept that other people's biggest worry is not COVID because they don't know how to put food on the table, because they're not seeing their elderly parents and they might never see them again, because yeah. their teenagers are not getting educated, because their four-year-old doesn't know how to interact and is going to be hurt for years because of this. And they will not accept it. And when these people have had enough, we've had both the media and a very nasty side of the public try and equate them with the worst politics we've had in history, Nazism, to try and say, oh, well, these are the sort of people now who want to gas the Jews, the communists, the gypsies, the gays, all because they're out and about. And the media in particular have had a field day with this. I mean, I keep seeing story after story about disinformation and they're trying to trick people. Well, if, if you want to create a right wing, there are two steps to do that. Number one, you make people desperate. And number two, you demean their desperation. So the, it, if anything, it's our media that is creating a right wing, not anything else by ignoring the genuine concerns of the working man and woman. And this again goes back to how COVID has been a class issue uh, that no one will talk about. And so but if, we, if we take that a couple of seconds further, like the, when, you create, when you create something like that, which it, it appears that our national broadcaster is doing, what, what is to be gained by that? Like, you know, we, we, you demonize a certain sector of the community and that's, that's a, I think that's an issue that is going to run forever in politics. Um, generally, people of a lower income or whatever, they will struggle more in times like this. They, they generally don't vote or change their vote that often. So they're seen as a lost cause already. Once you're, whatever it is, 40 grand and down in terms of your annual income, you're, 
you're almost seen as a lost cause already. How, but what, what would government or um, national broadcasters or media get from, from driving that wedge in? Uh, I guess it's, well, number one, profit. RTE are making a profit. The government have got more money, number one. Uh, but more so than that, there's always been uh, a kind of a, an easy way out in blaming the other. Don't look at us, blame them. Uh, and I mean, if, if you want to go back as far as the Black Death in terms of, 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 um, of pandemics, I mean, after that, because there were pressure on governments about how this, or kings and rulers about how this happened, uh, the Jews were blamed for it at that time. And actually people went around burning Jews at the stakes after the Black Death because blame the little guy. Mm. Um, they see people out protesting these lockdowns. And as I say, their concern is COVID. So, well, this is a threat to them. There could be more COVID in the community. There could be, this could, but if we start opening back up, which is this this group of people's worry, then COVID numbers will go up and that's my worry. So let's demonize them to keep me safe. And that's been the funniest thing about this. I mean, the all in it together. Ireland in particular, I have never seen such a greedy, grubby group of people hide behind that phrase because every single person in this has been in it for themselves we're seeing it now with the teachers who want the vaccines we're, mm -hmm. we're seeing it with the politicians we've seen it with the media we've seen every single group try and get what they can out of this knowing that there's going to be less to go around and they will shaft people to get it well that that, that was kind of the, the the last question i had for you in, in this in this area is it's interesting that you when, when the chips are down you find out what human beings are really like uh, it's very interesting it's, it's, you know the, the joker said it in every single batman film you know you find out what people are really like and it's, it is a little bit of a worry uh you know as i've you know i've just turned 40 i'm supposed to be a grown-up and they kind of grow up with this hope that people will look out for each other uh and then the thing that set it off for me was the um the the, the lad skipping the queue in the beacon the other week and i was thinking in my head i'm thinking right well if I had a chance to bring my family there, not tell anyone, but protect them, my initial reaction is, yeah, I would do it. And then we had a quick chat about it and I started thinking about it and I go, right, well, you know, it starts there. This is, this is I don't want to leave, leave that example for, for people around me. And so, you know, obviously I, I turned around and said, well, actually, I don't think I would. When, when, when I go to the drive through McDonald's instead and that would distract the kids. But we are seeing, um, a worrying effect of when the chips are down, what human beings are really like. And I don't know how you reverse that because you, we're, we're building gangs like we do in America, like they've done in America. There's a, a red and a blue side over there. We're building our own gangs over here. Um, and I just don't know, I don't know where it's going to, where it's going to stop. You know, once we speed up vaccinations and people get back out in the world, you're almost going to be looking at each other going, I forgot what this is like. I forgot how we do this outside of a screen. Is that reset going to be a good thing for people or are we going to be just back to the way we were? It'll be worse uh, because the economy is goosed. People think once the, or once the pandemic finishes, be that via the vaccines or via finally shutting up the zero COVID crowd and just mm. telling Neffet to go home, uh, then comes the real hardship because we have 25% of people out of work. We're borrowing mm. 110 million uh, euros a week to pay for this we already had massive debt all those jobs aren't going to come back um and we've a long way to go in, in this phase of this 
Uh, what happens then is we know the rich have got richer in Ireland to the tune of 3.4 billion, according to Oxfam across the last year. We know certain groups have made more money out of it. Uh, but when the bill comes, how do we solve that? Well, they're going to tax the middle class mm -hmm. and they're going to cut services for the working class. Uh, health, education, all these vital services are going to disappear over the next 10 years. So it's actually going to be a far worse place after this for a, a long, long time with a lot more animosity. Um, and, and I don't know why, for example, if, if someone on your street has been sitting at home on full pay and you happen to go out and protest because you want that same right and they've called you a Nazi for it uh, and they've said you should be locked away for this, and that we're not all in it together. I don't know why you'd ever break bread with that person. I don't know why you'd ever say hello to that person again, because when the chips were down, they were willing to look out solely for themselves and ruin you and your family. And when this is over, they're going to expect to share a pint. I wouldn't do it. Mm. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be the interesting part. And then the, the, the real the last thing for me, I, I get that, you know, um, the protest, if you look at it at the ordinary level, you kind of go, right, it's a, it's a group of people protesting assuming everyone is well behaved which 90 percent of the people are it's always going to be a small amount of people ruining it for everyone and then being you know that means everyone can delegitimize the entire operation but at what point do we get the, the 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 personal responsibility aspect of it? not a leading question just a general question where i know you know i may have my opinion on COVID. i'm not educated i don't i don't know but i don't want to get it i don't want to pass it on um but so i won't while I agree with the right to protest and the reason behind the protest is, is a powerful message, I wouldn't go and stand in a crowd of people. I wouldn't talk down anyone who does it. But where does that personal responsibility thing, not, I don't mean the people going to get their teeth done in Turkey, I mean the, what, protesting during a pandemic, that specific example. I think it starts at the top. Um, and there hasn't exactly been much leadership in this because you can go after these grim stories of two women going to get their tits done and man, that's salacious and oh, let's hammer them and let's let's put their addresses and passport photos in the newspaper and let's day after day leak their private medical details around whether they had COVID or not. Uh, where was this done for the 81 people at Golfgate? Only Phil Hogan lost his job at that, by the way, because the others all got them back. Uh, what happened when RTE, when Miriam O'Callaghan and David McCullough were throwing a going away party? Mm. What happened uh, the the beacon when uh, national property was stolen? What happened at the Coombe when the same thing happened around vaccines? What happened around the Davy stockbrokers? Mm. Um, you cannot expect those in the worst position backed into a corner to behave better than those losing nothing. And if you treat them badly, I mean, to use a crude analogy, but I mean, if, if an animal is hungry, tired and desperate and you corner it and poke it with a stick for long enough, it's going to bite you. Yeah. Um, so if we were all in this together, if the politicians hadn't given themselves pay rises, indeed, if they took severe pay cuts to show solidarity, then you might turn around and say, well, these people are ruining it for us. But instead, we have those laughing it up and gaining, saying they shouldn't be allowed protest. And I guess, look, democracy has downsides and upsides, and, and you take the whole thing together. You can't just pick and choose what bits of democracy 
suit you at any given time and deny others parts of that. Because, I mean, to quote Noam Chomsky, he said, I mean, if we don't believe in freedom of expression for people we despise, we don't believe in it at all. Mm. And what we've seen, worryingly, is a political and a media class in Ireland who don't believe in it all. Um, and, and that's quite a worrying time because... For, for democracy to work during this, I mean, there were there were many triggers where this could have been stopped and, and have been a better situation uh, in terms of life for people. Because Neffet were given too much power by the government, but they could have reeled them back. They didn't. At that point, then the opposition have to come along and say, hold the government to account. Mm-hmm. Not only did they not do that, they wanted stronger restrictions, which went, went against the science. And when that goes wrong, you're supposed to have a media who come in and question these people. Now, I watch pretty much all the Neffet press conferences. And it's like watching the journalists there, like those bobbleheads in cars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They have no questions. They don't seem to do any... Like this morning, I listened to Gabriel Scali on Claire Burns' programme. Uh, he lied. He flat out lied. He said that the vaccines do not work on the variants, thus we have to lock down uh, and we have to have quarantine for anyone coming from any country. Um, he wasn't challenged on that. None of these zero COVID lunatics are challenged on that. Um, despite the fact, I mean, we know from leaked emails, and I mean, this is something we we talk about the far right, or we see these reports about these protests, and what 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 constitutes the far right? And they'll go, oh well, they're trying to they're trying to push disinformation. Well, these far right loans have been shown. This zero COVID crowd have been done just that they've been shown through leaked emails that they wanted to lie to the Taoiseach about the extent of variants they wanted to lie about vaccines they wanted to cripple kind of the national morale to get their way yes I mean if you the same people Jerry Killeen uh, Anthony Staines Ethan McLinsight Gabriel Scally Sam McConkie they're on radio and tv night and day and not once is that brought up. So why why are these double standards? Why why is disinformation for the working class a Nazi trait, but disinformation at the top end of it some sort of pulpit for these? Let's let's push this, and and, and that's the double standard we've seen throughout this. And I mean, I, I was on News Talk one day, and I mentioned this, uh, and I mentioned these people, and I have proof of it. Uh, and they tried to edit it out, and when they got caught out, they put it back in. I mean, wh- who are we protecting here? Yeah, no that. It's it's going back to the message of why why are we trying to frighten people? We've already seen Nightmare on Elm Street. We, this is real life. Um, but no, because I think Neffet are, are kind of we didn't do it. Neffet told us to do it, so it's Grant vote us in again. It's this kind of to me. I keep keep saying it, but it, it it seems to be ordinary level. You know, football club, rugby club, politics. It's in every single group of people, and it's it just I we've turned the news off in our house, which maybe is not the best thing to do, uh, but. It really helps between the years, especially on a, on lockdown. I know you're you're in it, you're knee deep in it, up to the elbows in it, and it's it's something you do for a living. But we we've been trying to actively avoid it, especially when you've got um, when you've got people saying things only to wind people up, and it's not it's not healthy for people when they're locked down. Uh, but, it is, I mean, that's key in this. I mean, the news should be the place you go, especially at this point in time, because Ireland has had it harder than anywhere for the last year, or it's the second hardest lockdown on earth or longest lockdown on earth. Now that we have a vaccine and numbers are rock bottom, 
this should be a time for hope. This should be good news. I, and yet, like hospitalizations or, or, or ICU numbers are way down. I, I saw RTE's headline on their website though yesterday morning. None of these things. It wasn't about reaching a millionth vaccine this week. It wasn't about ICU numbers being rock bottom. It wasn't about summer coming for a seasonal uh, respiratory illness. It was uh, ho- uh, hospital numbers are up. And they were up by three. Yeah. But this was their headline. And it's const- if, if you want people to adhere to guidelines, if this is the greater message here and you want people to stop being out and mixing, you have to motivate them. Uh, you can't kick people for a year and then wonder why they stop listening. Mm. Um, and I mean, Neffet haven't been able to do that. The government haven't been able to do that. RTE in particular, but I mean, between George Lee, especially. I mean, Jesus Christ, talk about a prophet of doom. Uh, just <laughs> reading out whatever figures he's given on the nightly news. And and. I think we're going to look back at this, and it's funny. I, I'm not equating it to the the Tume, uh mother and baby homes mm. and all this that came out during this, but at the same time, people were tut tutting about that and going, "Isn't that disgraceful?" They were allowing all this to happen, and I think down the line we're going to actually reach a stage where, how did we let basic freedoms be stripped bare from us? And and, and there is a worrying element to this because. You see now people talk about a vaccine bonus or additional freedoms. I mean, additional freedoms. If I get the vaccine, I want all my freedoms back. I don't want one freedom back. I don't think that's enough. And if they don't come back, I think protests are going to have to get bigger and and badder. I don't mean violent, but I I do think they're going to have to stand up. At, At no time in human history have freedoms been taken away like this and all just given back at the end of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, again, we, we come back to messaging and it, I, I do feel that kind of lockdown, a bit like the diehard films, lockdown one, we were able to handle. Um, lockdown two, we we're kind of a little bit annoyed about it. This one, this mostly, this one is just people are, are, are losing their minds. And it's the and that's the key thing. People are legitimately and genuinely losing their minds. And, I, it, and when that is not seen, it doesn't appear to be taken into account by people who are sitting in the big chairs that's when the protests will kick off. And you're right, if we don't get, if it's not jab me twice and we're back to normal, there's going to be a problem. But I think we, we, we kind of roll on from there because I, I do want to get you on a couple of topics and we, we, we got a lot in there, which is great. The one I, I, I am going to enjoy most talking to you about is sport. Because, we, you know, you've born in a tie. I assume there's a bit of a guy in there. There's a football love in there. There's a... A like of the sport of rugby, am I phrasing that correctly? Yeah, I think so. I think that's fair enough. The the backgrounds of that is is, is good, something we're going to be talking about, and also uh, the the mythical creature that is Conor McGregor, which I really want to cover with you as well. So in in terms of because my background, I was a football uh, football Liverpool fan up until 1991 when I couldn't handle um, Sky Sports. Basically, it was just getting a bit too much. Uh, and then I haven't been in touch with it since then. Um, I've, it's almost getting like WWE. It's, it's theatrics and, and, and money grabbing, things like that. But, um, but in terms of yourself and your, your enjoyment of football in comparison to rugby, do you, do you enjoy the two sports similarly or is there a vast difference in terms of entertainment? I guess it depends at what level. Uh, like here in Portugal, I support Espino or my local team. They're a, a Division Three and heading for a Division Four club. My 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 true passion for football is Cruzeiro. From when I lived in Brazil, it was a, a season ticket holder. Every I went to every game, and it was more the football wasn't that good down there, but everything that went on around it was was chaos mm. and madness and 
wondrous, I, I guess. The, the high-end game, I mean, last night I didn't watch Liverpool, Real Madrid. I didn't watch Manchester City, Borussia Dortmund. I, I, I stuck on the darts mm. <laughs> because... I, I, I guess, for example, the last few days there's been the debates about where Haaland is, is going to end up after Dortmund. And when, mm. when you've reached a stage where a club as big as Borussia Dortmund aren't big enough to hold on to their best player and it's going to be either Manchester City, Barcelona or maybe Real Madrid, it's kind of, for me, like watching an eBay employee being coached by Amazon. Like they're just these big, cold, unfeeling companies mm. that are always going to win and the show around that i mean it the, the kind of push for entertainment around that like i we we had the the big controversies at the start of the year is guardiola collapsing and oh Man- manchester city are in trouble they're going to run away with the league we had barcelona and real madrid they've never been as poor one of them is probably going to catch atletico madrid they have been mm. for the last few months paris Saint-Germain, oh they're a couple of points behind in france but they will win the league and it's kind of monopolistic and, and a little bit boring. And I I even wonder if a European Super League might make that better because at least they're competing at their own level, even though I hate the idea and I love the Like, for me, the best outcome this year would be if both Leicester and West Ham made next season's Champions mm. League, uh, even though I'm a Chelsea fan or was a Chelsea fan growing up. Um, I, I just don't feel any connection to it. It's too predictable. It's too monetary. Um, I, I've no problem with people who do love it, but... I just fell out of love with it, I guess. At that level, as I say, I mean, I'll watch Brazilian football night and day. I go and see my local team in Portugal. Mm. But for me, it's about the all-round aspect, the day out, meeting friends, going for a meal, over-analyzing it, over a few beers afterwards. Yeah. And I, I don't get that with high-level football. And, and, that, and that's the thing, when, when sport and business, that graph, when they start getting too close together, it, you know, you, you can see it happening in rugby as well, even though it's, it's, it's still in its infancy. The, the more money that's pumped in, the less, uh, you know, coach trip to away game in the olden days kind of thing. And again, everything evolves, but it, you're getting further and further away from normal people, which is never good, whether you're a celebrity or a footballer. Um, because it, and that's part of the reason as soon as Sky Sports starts making everything glitz and glam, they're, they're doing that with the darts, but you can't, you can't take away that crowd. You know what I mean? That you can't change that in any kind of way. And you know, they've been drinking for three weeks, getting ready for this. So, you know, that's still there. That atmosphere is still there. But for, but for me, like the, the football thing is it, it's diluted the sport to, to such an extent where things like what you're talking about is news, not how teams play and what they're doing. Like the, the abuse that is happening now uh, to the Ireland team over the last few weeks with Kenny and what he's trying to do. And you can see what he's trying to do, even at ordinary level football, you can see what he's trying to do. And it has to be done because of the hole that was dug previously. But he's never going to be able to do it. It's almost, you know, you're, you're, you're putting him in, you know, the straitjacket under the water, expecting Houdini, knowing that he can't swim. That was really, I've got to remember that one. That's a good one. But you're, they're digging this hole for him, knowing that he can't get out of it. And that seems to be happening a lot in, in, in sport in general. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about, blaming the wrong people. I mean, those two women coming back from Dubai get it six or the Dublin mm. footballers get six pages but Hall Martin goes to that boxing event or the yeah. guy in the beacon gives vaccines to Jerry and that's ignored 
And it's almost like, I'm not saying the John Delaney thing was ignored, but I mean, John Delaney was to blame and anything mm. Stephen Kenny does has to be looked at through that prism. It has to be looked at through the prism of our football development um, because you can't run football that badly and expect to have great players. Now, it's entirely possible that Kenny is trying to do too much with too little and you mm. have to be more pragmatic and he needs to look at what he has and kind of he's not going to play... Pep Guardiola football with with what he has and, and maybe he needs to reel that back in. But again, all of that needs to be looked through in the prism. And I mean, we've we've no right to be at, at such a level. I mean, uh, I can't remember who it was. The guy who plays for Luton Town in midfield came off uh, Collins and he said that was an embarrassing loss. I mean, he plays for Luton and the guy who scored the winner for Luxembourg plays for Dinamo Kiev. (laughs) You know, I mean, well, look, these are just because you're called Ireland and they're called Luxembourg. Maybe they're doing Mm. things right. Um, And we haven't been and and we absolutely don't have a right. I mean, we're we're a, a footballing insignificance, really. I mean, other than I mean, we're still talking Italia 90. We can talk 2002 thereafter in our footballing history. I mean, we haven't done a lot. We've no players at a very, very high level. Uh, so, so what do we expect? Just because we're Ireland, we should be qualifying for things? No. Yeah, that's the the, the realism aspect of it, and, and it was it was similar um, in the kind of the Leinster Munster match last week, where uh, certainly our friends in News Talk were, were were pumping up Munster, and again it was digging a hole for them that they couldn't get out of. Um, but it's the realism that we, we appear to be missing. I know uh, Italian ninety changed the changed the the country and. We kind of started feeling good about about our football, but that, and we kind of held on to those players for as long as they could. I don't know, Andy Townsend could have been 112 in 1994. You know what I mean? We were holding yeah. on to these guys instead of building building going on. And you look at the guys who have left the left the setup. The Duffer, who is apparently one of the top coaches in the future in the making, just let go. You know, I don't know what Robbie Keane does, but you'd think that our our world our record striker would be able to. Not maybe mentor is the wrong word, but anytime you start a new job, um, you have someone who's going to use shadow to find out how they work. Why don't we use these assets that we do have? And for a broke organization to be paying the money it is to, to Robbie Keane for doing mm. practically nothing now. But I mean, it's political, it's an Irish thing. I mean, every committee member wants some power and he won't give it up. We saw that for years within the FAI. It's completely political. I mean, we still don't have a pyramid structure in Irish mm. football. I mean, the most basic little things that show a path to the top and blah, and we don't have any of those things. Now, this, it's slowly changing, but I mean, us changing slower isn't going to catch us up with those changing quickly who, who got a head start. Um, and there's a reason, I mean, Premier League clubs aren't coming for Irish kids anymore because they have the world at their feet and they're getting better players elsewhere who, who either have that street football element or who actually have systems in place. Um, yeah. And you see it more and more at the top end of football. I mean, you go through World Cup winners. I mean, it was the Spanish machine. Then it was the German machine. Now it's the French machine, all pumping hundreds of millions of euros into structures that work and evolving each time. Uh, we're in the dark ages. No, absolutely. And I think that I think we can we can shift from from football to the different shape ball, because this is this is going to be my, my favorite part of our chat today, um, because you I think Twitter sometimes does you a disservice when it comes to rugby because we, we, we only get the, the main point where you're talking about the school system and things like that and that end of things. Um, the, the bit that people forget is that you, you actually 
enjoy the game in and of itself. Um, which yeah, is- particularly Pacific Island rugby, actually. And I, I, I mean, what I, I get sad what's done to them with players mm-hmm. poached and, but both elite players kind of ending up playing, be it for New Zealand or whatever else, but also players who end up in the French third division and end up with nothing, um, all to kind of fund these machines. I mean, because I, I think there's something, I, I think there's something joyous about the islands and rugby. Yeah, it's it, it's a freedom. It's it, it, there's no incorrect answer to any option that they have. And whereas when you look at what we're what we do up this end of the world, it's very restrictive for for most part. But but in terms of you know the the kind of the Leinster school system, I think is is, is kind of where we can we can drill down and because it, there is a system in place. Like you're talking about the the football clubs building their academies and systems and things like that. That's that's now built over in our side of the world here, uh, over over in Leinster, uh, but it, it only really started in 0809. Before that, it was kind of 400 people in Donnybrook, and, and that was it. They go out in the piss afterwards. Where things have been built long term, maybe that that other provinces and the FAI haven't done. But in terms of private schools and access to the game, which I think is 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 a great way to start this. Um, now, for me to go to my local club and start playing there, the, the journey from there to the green jersey is obviously far more difficult than going to St. Andrews to the green jersey. There's an infrastructure on one side of that. Uh, but the idea being that talent will make its way through. What are your thoughts on the, the, the I guess it's a weird monopoly that, that schools, certainly over this side of the, the island, have on building build up to blue jerseys and green jerseys? I think it, it does damage for two reasons because it, it doesn't cast the net very wide, first of all. So how many players do you lose? And people will always talk about the likes of, of Sean O'Brien and, and Tyg Furlong. And there are exceptions to, to every rule. Um, I, I don't know what, like with an academy in football, you're going to take in the best kids, no matter where they're from, mm. and take them to the next level. With our rugby academies, which are private schools, uh, we take kids from a tiny section of society and miss out on so many and i mean that secondly i mean i think that's an awful look because i, I think private education is is an horrific thing far beyond that uh, i think i don't understand why kids don't get equal opportunity and i certainly don't understand why everybody should fund excess opportunity for those who have the most to begin with mm-hmm. um but on a, but on a, a strictly rugby level i've watched documentaries about schools rugby it's almost akin to a form of mental child abuse, what goes on in those schools around rugby. I mean, I've seen videos where they all have to reach out and touch the out half as he runs onto the pitch. And and there was a documentary, I can't remember the name, but I think it was Belvedere when they won, or one of them anyhow, I haven't mm-hmm. a clue. But I, I just don't see the point in it. Uh, why? Because so few kids go to private schools. We've had this golden era after golden era, seemingly, of Irish rugby, even though they can't get past the, the last eight of a nine-team <laughs> tournament. Um, but it's been plastered everywhere. Rugby has been everywhere. And there are kids in a tie who go, geez, I'd love to be like Brian O'Driscoll. I'd love to be like Johnny Sexton. Why take away what chance they had? Not based on their skill, but based on how much money their their um th- their family have, I mean, you know, Christians in Cork is four thousand euros a year. Blackrock mm. is seven thousand. Glenstall twelve thousand. Pres Cork three and a half thousand. Clongos nineteen thousand euros a year. Now I know there will be some scholarships, 
But again, how many quality players are you missing who've had an interest in rugby but haven't been given a path? And, and that should be the primary purpose of the IRFU is to give talented, well, first of all, give everyone the opportunity to play the game. And secondly, to give a path for talented kids that isn't based on class. And, and rugby even after 20 years of so much media coverage in the professional era, first of Munster, more lately of Leinster, of Irish team after Irish team, mm. it hasn't evolved. I mean, you go through the, the, the stats. I mean, I, I, I'm just looking. I mean, and I went through it in 2014 and again in 2019 of, of players educated in the Republic of Ireland, 78% both times came from private schools. Mm. You go through Leinster, uh, just looking at it, it's kind of 79% here, 85% in, in the academy, 69% in the Munster Academy. So it's not changing. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's spoiled kids after spoiled kids. Um, and I also happen to think it does Irish rugby no end on the top end because I, I think mentally they're soft. I think a lot of these people come from places, much, much like our leaders. They're given everything. They can told they do no wrong. Uh, and I suppose there is a crossover between all in it together and team of us. They're they're insulated <laughs> in this nonsense. It's the same same marketing company, yeah. But but I think if if we take it take it one for one step at a time there. So opportunity to play the game, in theory, is there. So from mini rugby to whatever the theory is there. So anyone listening who wants to send their kids to mini rugby, it's it's, it's right there. Yeah. I think I think the death of the of the club game has caused a problem, which which kind of backs up your your argument. The infrastructure is there when you pay for it, and so the the work that that would need to be done now to build that kind of club level, to being that third part of the triangle, if you like, um, is just going to be too much, and and they've left it too long. If we're being honest. I think if you're going, I mean, I, I, and clubs do bloody great work with loads of kids, and you're right, they don't have the resources to match up. I, I think you need to look at the schools um, because, I mean, if there's a talented player in Black Rock, he might have Tony Ward coming into the best of facilities and he's training three times, whereas if there's a, tal a club in, down the country, he's never going to have that. Mm -hmm. but, but there's no reason why the IRFU shouldn't be going into other schools and kind of pushing resources there and getting them there. And then if those kids want to go and play club rugby, they have the skills already. I think that's where you get them. And especially at a time where, I mean, soccer is at a low ebb. Gaelic football is at a low ebb outside of Dublin. And also schools are crying out for coaches because teachers aren't there to do it. They don't have the time. They don't have the numbers. There's going to be cutbacks coming there. Although, I, 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 I mean, I see, and I'm very, very sorry to hear it. I mean, I think the IRFU had to let go 20 staff this mm -hmm. morning. Yeah. And that's obviously going to impact that down the line. But certainly over the last few years, I think more could have been done in that area when the interest in rugby was there, when schools were crying out for coaches. Um, and, and I think that could have been pushed with, with resources diverted away from the same, from your Black Rocks, from your St. Mary's, from your Terranures. Yeah, no, absolutely. and I think again, it's kind of sport and business, you know, it's very rare, whatever the horse race that was on during the week, it's very rare you bet on a, on an underdog because the work's already done on the favourites. And, and that's, you've got to, it's got to, it takes big Leroy D to go, I'm putting 20 quid on the 100 to one, you know, the, the, the outcome if he wins is going to be great. But I think that's, that's, a, that's the trick that these sporting bodies in general, not just the rugby guys need to think outside of the way we've been doing it. You always do what you always did. You always get what you always got. I think my old PE teacher used to say. Um, so if they start thinking that way, but I think the opportunity to play is there. 
um, it, it's just going from your club jersey. Uh, you know, I, I'm a member of Seaport Rugby Club. We've got guys who got into the Leinster Academy, but they didn't progress past there. Uh, it wasn't due to lack of hunger or lack of skill, but it was there was an infrastructure behind the people they were competing against um, that that meant they had more at their disposal in terms of game management, game time, ability to run a game. So the coaching aspect that you're talking about is is ideal. These guys who, who perform, at, whether it's SCT level or whatever, get them into a coaching structure and get them out to the clubs. And that arms everyone between the years because the hunger was there. They had the scrap in them that maybe the people in these schools don't necessarily have all the time. They have it when it's going for them, which is great. But when the backs are against the wall, sometimes that's a little bit missing. I also think, I mean, that I've been thinking about this a little bit recently, watching the evolution of rugby. Like when I was a kid, there was Simon Gagan and there was mm. Philippe Bernassal and there was these kind of lads with jerseys hanging off them with dancing yeah. feet, whereas I suppose a prop back then would probably be a wing now yeah. uh, in terms of size. And I do wonder, and it, <laughs> you're, you're always scared of this woke world of, racism being screamed. I wonder genetically how much of a disadvantage certain countries are at um, in that you do need a Bundy Aki or a Billy Villapola in the middle. And just genetically, Irish people are not that big compared to a lot of these other rugby countries. And and I say that in the same way as I don't expect Kieran McGeehan to run the Kenyans off of athletics track. Um, and, And since it has become so much about structured size, I, I do wonder if we are at a disadvantage in that sense. Yeah, it, do, it does happen. There will be anomalies, uh, you know, like Robbie Henshaw's in the form of his life. You know, uh, he's up there against these big, you know, the Vinopola brothers, all these guys, and he's able to work his way around there. But he is an anomaly or has been an anomaly. Uh, in terms of genetics, we don't have it. You know, again, without wishing to be called names, we don't have a basketball team that performs. You know what I mean? There's yeah, exactly. Time. I mean, it's just, this is the way it, it is. I mean, I know people are uncomfortable mentioning these things, but I mean, the Maori are a big people. Mm. <laughs> the tribes of South Africa are a big people. The Islanders are a big people. The Irish are relatively small compared to Absolutely. Uh, Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes are in a film that explains this absolutely perfectly. Uh, <laughs> But, but, but we're, we're jumping on, speaking of genetics and people, uh, you know, private schools, uh, do they have the scrap in them? Can posh people be boxers? Let's move on to uh, Mr. Conor McGregor, because he is, you were ahead of, the, head of the, 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 the nation thought process on this. Because, you know, uh, I, I've been to his fights way back in the Helix, all the way up. Now, obviously, can't afford tickets now. But, um, and it was a story that was building incrementally. Uh, someone in the 188 club, a lot of us were, he was able to, to build his way out of that. And, and I, do, I do remember a moment where I realized this story isn't for me. McKenna was about six to eight months ahead of me on this. Um, when did that story or did that story ever make sense to you, the, the, the rags to riches thing? It's an interesting one because, I mean, I don't know a lot about MMA. I mean, I wouldn't tell you what move this was or what choke that was or anything else. And I'll absolutely hold my hands up to anyone who says McGregor was one of the greats or one of this in his weight division or whatever else. I'm sure I'm sure he was. I guess with me, I just found McGregor interesting from um, more a sociological point of view, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and to have what was done to him and what he did to other people. Um, in terms of the hysteria, in terms of the man at the moment, in terms of building someone up and tearing him down. And I, I guess when you come from a certain background, 
and you're given everything like that and, and boxing and to a degree his story at MMA are quite unique in sport because if you're a soccer player sure you might start getting five ten thousand euros a week you're not going to get a check for a hundred million dollars mm. mm. uh, overnight um and there was a little bit i mean i remember him being on the late late several times and there was a little bit of a kind of a dance for me boy act from both tuberty and the crowd mm. uh, and that kind of be our jester be our clown say these outrageous things and we laugh at you and that's never going to be sustainable in terms of entertaining people because it has to get more and more outrageous mm. and i suppose when everything's outrageous ultimately nothing is outrageous um and you you do see it i mean you you see people wanting to build someone up and then they get bored of that and they will absolutely destroy that same person. And he helped them along with that. Yeah, Don't yeah, get yeah. me wrong. I'm not defending yeah. him for a second. Um, and then people want, oh, they want the redemption story then, part three. I mean, we see this over and over. We've seen it with Tiger Woods, but we see it particularly with working class um, sports people and, and everything else. And I guess, he, look, he did himself no favors, but people have to understand where he comes from, what it was like. I, I never liked him being talked about as a working class hero, uh, but he was pigeonholed into that because it gives a kind of a false assumption that every working class person just wants to make loads of money and shove it in your face mm. and be as ignorant about it because that gets them more money. Um, but I mean, some of the stuff is will never be forgivable. Uh, yeah. I mean, the rate... I suppose that there was always race baiting. There was always this, that, and the other. But I mean, there's stuff legally, I guess, we can't talk yeah. about that yeah. just means there will be no redemption story. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is, uh, certainly there, there was up to a certain point, I thought, well, this, whether it's M whether you're into MMA or you're an accountant, there's a lot of principles of work that can be used there. And I really thought that'd be great for kids. And then I noticed in, in the gym I'm in, um, uh, and in the various Thai boxing gyms where people didn't see the work that he, at that time, that he was doing. They saw the gimmick, they saw the, the suits, they saw the outlandish stuff, and that's where they went. They thought that's the thing to take. And, and there is a worrying, um, we, we are in the redemption story right now, or the attempted redemption story with him right now. Certainly in the last two fights he's had, his demeanor's changed entirely, uh, whether he's been uh, controlled better or whatever the word is. Um, they are trying to do that, but as you say, there are things you can't take back, and he will find that. There's, there's, you can have all the money in the world, but if you can't walk down the street, it means nothing. Well, don't you know the funny part when I when I think about it more? I mean, maybe maybe it's not that there can't be a redemption story. It might be that there shouldn't be a redemption story mm. because, especially when I look at the American market, uh, when Kobe Bryant tragically died, there was an outpouring of emotion, but one thing very obviously wasn't yeah. mentioned. Uh, Mike Tyson is now, I mean, I remember seeing The Hangover and people thinking Tyson's hilarious and going, Jesus Christ, it's yeah. not that long. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was one comedian who, who did say, who did make the Cody or Kobe remark when he, uh, on the day he died um, and, you know, he disappeared for, for kind of six months or so. He's starting to come back again, but he pointed it out. It's like, yes, a, a sporting star that you admire who is great at his craft, but also was accused of this. Let's, let's make that seesaw a little bit level. I guess with McGregor as well, the kind of level of hero worship, it was this social media age where 
was always there to a degree, but you might buy in the 70s, you might buy a magazine because, I don't know, Pele was on the cover and that would be an interview with them for two pages. Whereas with Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, there's always an X picture. There's always this. He might even retweet something you said. Therefore, he likes me. I have an interaction constantly. This guy is my friend. So I will defend him at all costs, no matter what he does. Um, But so there is a bit of that. I mean, and it's kind of like the, the Kardashian era of just and, and it even reached us presidents i mean it's everything and you, you see what leo loves playing the social media game and that's why he's so much smarter than Hall martin and there's a kind of grim reality because a lot of people do buy into that but i i guess with mcgregor i mean it's hard to take him as a package because you can admire what he did and where he reached as a fighter but you could never admire the person he became because of the money that came from being the fighter yeah, it's it's that's that's the, the the juxtaposition of the whole thing. It's 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 a worrying because uh, obviously he was the first, like you're saying, the Kardashians. He was the first kind of MMA guy. We've had like if Katie Taylor was was a man, the you know there would be little Ferrari about McGregor. I feel because she he would be beyond our top sports person. Now that's I think that's another issue. You know the the kind of the, the sexism of the whole thing. We don't appreciate Katie Taylor the way we should. I feel. Although but it works both ways, I will say. I mean, I see Katie Taylor is fighting an MTK fighter now and legitimizing that whole Kinahan connection. And I wonder if that was a, I, I haven't seen any journalists say it. Uh, and I wonder if that was a Carl Frampton or a Michael Conlon. Would people yeah. be lepping on that much quicker? There are a few great Twitter accounts to follow. Uh, you know, in terms of all that MTK stuff. But it's uh, yeah, I, I I do feel yeah. It, I guess no one once you're once you're in that arena, no one's hands end up being clean. You know, like it's. I, I feel that her um, her principles are there, but again, you know, she gets punched in the face for a living. I want her to get paid and retire healthy, happy, multi-millionaire, never having to do it again. But to get to that point, you've got to you've got to step in there with greasy people uh, who are managed by criminals, uh, and, and you know, you, you either let that embrace you or you try and remain. Uh, yourself, which I think she's trying to do. Whereas you see, you see Connor who embraced that whole thing uh, to a point where, you know, he's he he's never going to come back from it. If we're being honest, he's never going to get back what that innocence, I guess, is the word, or uh, that goodwill that he had before, because we we enjoyed digging the hole for him. Um, but your your chaos is a friend of mine. Book is really really fantastic. I I got it the day it came out. I've read it a couple of times, and it's. There's no, um, sometimes the problem with, with some of these biographies is you can tell who's writing it, what they think, and that's the end of it. Whereas it, there's a lot of discussion points in there along the way, a lot of things you can take away and let digest in your own mind over a cup of tea or something stronger, which is, it's a really great read. Yeah, I, I just wanted to get people thinking. And I, it made me think myself because I always want to challenge my perceptions. I mean, of course, I don't like McGregor's race baiting. Of course, I don't. But I wanted to look at cause and effect. I wanted to look at, and I, and I try and do that in everything at this stage. Um, and I think people are doing it less and less. I mean, we talk about people protesting lockdowns at the start of this. We talk about, I mean, even stuff, when we mention MTK, I've written about them. They're vile. There's some mm-hmm. vile, vile people involved. There's they've the people involved have ruined people's lives. But then when you think about it, and I'm not defending that, I mean, how much rugby money comes from the banks? And how many people's lives did they ruin? Or is is Pep Guardiola? He talks well, but his wages come from people who've murdered people. I mean, where do you 
draw the line. Yeah, it's like you know, are are you are you okay to is it okay to shoot someone but not put them out of house and home? You know, they're all criminals. It's just a different shade of grey. Uh, and and look, it, again, as a ticket buying public, as a ticket purchaser, we have to think about that as well. Which is, it's not really all we want to do. Like you said, we want to go enjoy the game, have a bit of crack, dissect it in the bar afterwards. That's it. But we are funding whenever we buy a, a ticket to an Eddie Hearn show or, you know, a, a ticket to to Lanza, Aviva Stadium, excuse me, or when the MMA is in the, in the point or the three arena, Genie Mac. Um, we are funding these things. And, and, and that's I, I think that's something you the cause and effect thing that you talk about in the book is, is a great thing to take into other aspects of our life. Yes, we're not actively supporting MTK, but if I go and buy a Katie Taylor T-shirt, or if I tell my kids about Katie Taylor and, and the role model that she is for, certainly for young women, but for young people in, in what she's done, there's a huge thing circulating around her, satelliting around her that is beyond murky and not something that I want to teach to people younger. I guess it comes back to, though, I mean, again, I mean, it's should we're holding the fans to account. And I've done this. I mean, I've talked about Manchester City fans defending their their. Abu Dhabi money and, and mm. talk, or if you buy a ticket for an MTK boxing show yet that lead should be coming from further up the line I mean we can't blame fans and ourselves for going to watch a boxing match when ESPN mm-hmm. are prepared to make 100 million off these people I mean that lead has to come from the we, we can't keep beating ourselves up over just going to watch a boxing match when someone else is prepared to take all their money and then tut tut at you no absolutely and that's business and that comes back we're, we were talking about personal responsibility and things like that it's whatever you're comfortable with you're you know what I mean? Technically, when you break down every penny you spend on a ticket, uh, you know, if you go and see uh, a band in, in the three arena, you know, half your ticket money could be going to their cocaine money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which yeah. Is funded by, so if we break it down that far, you know, you buy non-free range chicken, the chickens are getting beaten around the, the you know, the hutch, you know, but. And, and it is the class thing, but I mean, the Kinahans, drug runners, horrible people, again, not the. But I mean, are, are we blaming those who provide the demand for their cocaine because they're in suits and ties? <laughs> you know, I mean, again, but it's too easy just to look at one area of it, I think. I, I think that the, the main thing coming out of this uh, interview and this chat, Ewan, is I think our next chat is going to be coming from the Thunderdome, where we're all, it's like Mad Max, and we're all in, in high-ace Jeeps and firing guns <laughs> at each other, you know? Uh, you know, life's not that bad. You know, hopefully everyone is healthy and happy who's listening to this. and. I think that the, the question that I would like to ask you to leave with is from the top down, we've talked about politics, we've talked about social media, we've talked about sport. There's similar problems going through each of those. No one really thinks anymore. Um, how in the name of Jesus do we fix that in 124 characters or less? Oh, you don't. It makes it so much worse. Uh, it's a friend of mine called Mark Bowerline. He's a professor in America. He wrote a book called The Dumbest Generation. Uh, and he wrote that around, I think it came out in 2007. And he wrote it because he thought that critical thinking had hit rock bottom and could never get worse than this. And I remember speaking to him uh, late last year. We were chatting and he goes, man, what I wouldn't give to go back to those times because we've dipped again. And I think everything is so divisive and everything is so black and white uh, and people are unwilling to change their views. And I know we keep coming back to COVID and lockdown, but it, it seems to me, be it doctors, be it Neffet, be it people who've thought lockdowns work, no matter how much evidence comes out against that, 
they will not budge. They would actually rather ruin people than be proven wrong. Mm. Um, and I think we get that in every facet of life. And I, I certainly, I mean, I guess I miss the pubs most. And I know they're closed there. They're just back open here. Because I think when you're face to face with someone over a few pints and you're having a discussion, you're more likely to hear alternative opinions, mm -hmm. tease things out, accept them. And I think when people aren't face to face and you can hide behind social media, you're willing to say things and act in a way you never would in public or you'd probably get a punch in the face. <laughs> so I, I don't think that that helps. And I suppose when lockdowns finish, though, do we go back? Because we have a generation who sit in their rooms on social media rather than going out and interacting with people. And they did that before mm. any COVID and they are in their own little bubbles and everyone in their bubble likes the same thing. It's an echo chamber, be it certain music, be it a certain mm. sports team, be it a, a political outlook. And they just want to pigeonhole everyone else. And because they can't listen to anyone else's view, as I said at the beginning of this, they'd rather abuse the person with that view rather than accept their view. And I mean, it's not a happy ending, uh, but I, I, I don't think there's a way out of it. I mean, I think... I think humanity is in a, in a slow, slow decline at the minute. And I think this is going to, to enhance it. And if, if people think COVID is bad, wait till climate change hits. Well, on that, on that note, uh, next time we can... <laughs> ho, ho, ho. <laughs> it, will be, it will be on the Thunderdome. But, uh, but for, for everyone listening, uh, go follow Ewan right now, at Ewan McKenna on Twitter. All the links to everything is there. Uh, there's some letters from lockdown on his, on his website there, which are a great read as well. Uh, Ewan, it has been great to see you and talk to you in more than 124 characters. Uh, I think it is a, an important conversation to have where we can flesh a few things out. Now, we only got through a few topics, but I appreciate your time. Stay safe and all the best to you and yours for wherever, however long you spend in Portugal. And thanks, Mill, for having me on.